So um, I want to I want to announce officially that last Sunday um, the um, the board approved uh, bringing uh, my son Joseph on as executive and worship pastor here at North Lake, and so um, I want to. Um, I want us to I want us to pray over him and I want to invite the board members to come forward right now and come up and Joseph if you uh, come forward and we're just going to pray uh, a dedicatory prayer commissioning prayer of blessing and I invite you all just to stretch out your hands um, toward him and we're going to pray it's one thing for somebody to carry a personal anointing it's another thing for uh, a leader in the church to have the anointing and the covering of that local body. And so I want to ask you to stretch out your hands toward him, and we're going to pray. Brothers, um, touch him or touch somebody who's touching him. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for Joseph. We thank you, Lord, that sovereignly you sent him to this place, and we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would cover him, God, that as David prayed, that you would cover his head in the day of battle. Lord God, that um, worship is truly doing battle in the heavenlies, Lord. It's glorifying you, but it is how we fight our battles. And we pray, God, that your covering would be upon him. We pray, God, that uh, you would help him put the different links together and get the systems up, Lord, that is going to get us uh, moving forward efficiently uh, in every aspect of church life, Lord, the way we deal with uh, people and the way we connect with people and the building and all these different aspects, Lord. We bless him in that. We pray, God, that his deepest prayers and dreams would come to pass in this community, Lord, as he ministers to all of us. And we pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Praise be to God. Well, God is doing a work. And sometimes understanding what God is doing, um, it's something that unfolds in the course of time. word says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. My dad used to say, God draws straight with crooked lines. Sometimes what seems crooked to us is something that God is drawing out straight and he's doing his work. And so um, this is one of the reasons why uh, I believe that God is guiding us strongly into a time where we're, we're talking about prayer, we're believing uh, for God's purposes. This past Sunday, a week ago today, I felt like God began to do a work in the church, and I'm just being candid with you, being transparent that um, I'm a planner, and I have all sorts, my, my heart is full of all sorts of things to share, uh, and I had all my messages kind of mapped out all the way, all the way through the end of January. I mean, I'm kind of locked and loaded, and I'm, I'm ready to go. And the Lord uh, woke me up very early in the morning on Monday morning, the, the, the next day. And I was, I was very tired, um, but the Lord kind of woke me up. And I felt, spoke to me very, very clearly that as a church, we're supposed to focus on prayer for, for, for a little time. I'll talk like we do in the South, for a spell, for a spell. We're going we're gonna to focus on prayer. And I felt like the Lord just dropped that very strongly into my spirit. And I, I, I kind of I got it. I was like, amen. And then I went back to sleep. And I prayed later in that day. Um, I have enjoyed greatly this past week as with great intentionality and purpose, I have pursued unbroken prayer that I spend time with God intentionally and extensively every single day. There's a release of power that comes with that. And today, 
I want to talk to you further on this subject. I want to talk about how we pray. Last week we talked about a passion for prayer and the desire for prayer and that we pray. Today I want to begin to talk about how we pray. If you look in your, in your bulletin, uh, we made up these little prayer cards. Um, on the back there's a space, my prayer needs, but on the front we've got uh, scripture references and then we've got laid out kind of a pattern for prayer. This is what I'm going to talk about today. We're going to make up more of these in uh, the future, but there's enough to go on with right now. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, Luke the 11th chapter. And starting in verse 1, we're just going to read through verse 4 to begin with. Luke 11, uh, 1 and following. And this is the word of the Lord. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the manifestation of your presence here in our midst today. God, we thank you for the blessing, God, that we've already experienced, the fellowship, the communion, Lord, the worship, the moving of your Holy Spirit. Now, we invite you, Holy Spirit of God, to manifest as Jesus himself told us that you would, that you are the one who teaches us. You are the one who guides us into all truth. That, too, is a manifestation and a ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we ask for that ministry uh, to come forth right now. God, give us ears to hear, and Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit and with the agreement of your people that you'd give me a tongue to speak according to that word that you have for us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, this passage is one of two passages in the Gospels that present that pattern of prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. And some people have contended it probably ought to better be called the Disciples' Prayer because it was the, it was the prayer that the Lord taught them to pray. But whatever we go, we've, we've kind of uh, called it by the Lord's Prayer for a long time. And it's the Lord's Prayer in the sense that He's the one who originated it, so that's, that's what I call it. Um, this in my view, this passage that I just read in Luke 11 is almost certainly the origin of this prayer. Now, here's the thing. There is a version that's a little bit longer, and it occurs in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to go to that in just a bit. Uh, but because of the ordering of the New Testament, uh, we kind of read things in order. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. John, right? So Matthew comes first. So people have a tendency to think in terms of, because that's the order in which the books unfold, and that's the order, therefore, in which these two different instances, or two different versions, if you want to look at it that way, uh, of the Lord's Prayer occur, that, that must mean that Matthew's version uh, came first. Like, that's the origin of it, which occurs in the midst of that passage known as the Sermon on the Mount. But for a variety of reasons, I believe that this description right here, this story that is told, right? Matthew 6 isn't a story. It's, it's one teaching after another that Jesus taught uh, on that mountain in Galilee. This instance uh, has kind of the fingerprints of, of anecdote, right? It has the fingerprints of a disciple telling how something came about. And I'm convinced that this is when the Lord's Prayer was birthed. Right? This is when it first came forward. And the instance was this. Jesus was, it says Jesus was praying in a certain place. That statement alone mirrors statements that are found all throughout the Gospels. Found in the Gospel of Mark, found in different places where Jesus is alone. Jesus seeks solitude. In some passages it describes him going away early in the morning, getting away from it all early in the morning when it's still dark. And he prays. And in this case, it just says Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, his, his disciples were aware of him uh, praying, 
and they were observing that he was praying. We don't know how close they were to him, but we know that he was praying. And when he got finished praying, one of them, we don't know which one, approached him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, this is a remarkable thing. Jesus responds, it just says, and he said to them, when you pray, say, and he lays out this prayer. Um, this is remarkable to me because there are many, many instances, I dare say the majority of the instances where Jesus is initiating a teaching. If you read story after story, parable after parable, it's Jesus who's the initiator. Jesus says, okay, let, let me tell you the way it is. Even the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sits down, his disciples respond to him, and he teaches them. So Jesus is the one who's taking the lead. There are cases where Jesus responds to his disciples or responds to a question. Somebody asks him a question. Somebody says, hey, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, Jesus' response to that was a negative response, right? What do you think I am? I'm some sort of auctioneer here. I might want to handle this situation. Or uh, he sees his disciples doing something and he responds to it. They're arguing along the road about who's the greatest. And Jesus goes, uh, so, what were you uh, talking about on the road? Right? So there's, there's Jesus responding. This is powerful and unique because they are coming to him with a positive thing, and he responds affirmatively to them. It's a very powerful, powerful thing. And there's a message in this before we get into the, the nitty-gritty and the nuts and bolts of how we pray. I could teach you all day long. I could teach you Sunday after Sunday the nuts and bolts of how to pray. Almost 40 years of prayer life since I've known the Lord, I could talk to you about the different encounters that I've had with the Lord. I could talk to you about insights that I've had. I've could, I could tell you the different times that I've taught different people in the Lord and God did a work. But I want to tell you, none of it is going to get any traction in anybody's life if we don't have the ingredient that this disciple manifests. And that is desire. He wanted to pray. He wanted to know how to pray. He saw something in Jesus that he wanted to imitate. So there's uh, observation, and then out of that observation, something is birthed in him that desires to imitate. Now I want to tell you something. Prayer is contagious. As people begin to pray, and they get around people that pray, the more they desire to pray. And the more you pray, the more it's going to be a contagion. It's kind of like, a, 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 imagine a virus, but a positive virus, not a negative virus that hurts you. Like a virus begins to multiply, and the more it multiplies, the more it multiplies. You, you know what I'm saying? The more you pray, the more that that desire is going to be birthed in you, and the more you're going to begin to roll in prayer, and things are going to happen. Things are going to happen in your life. Now, let me just say this. Everybody, every human being, and this is reflected Look across the religions of the world. Every human being ha is born with a natural inclination toward the divine, toward an understanding that there's something greater than them. As, as the book of Ecclesiastes says, he's put eternity in our hearts. And so there's this, there's this calling. In my time as a missionary, and my time teaching missions, there's all sorts of evidence, there's all sorts of writings from missionaries and across the full span of cultures. We're talking Stone Age tribes on one end to what we would call post-Christian cultures like you have in Europe where they peaked and now they're, they're in, into apostasy. And across the board, people have a sense of something greater. People have a sense of the divine. And there's a drawing. I, I saw that, that uh, 
bumper sticker, right? As long as there are tests, there will be prayer in school, right? So there, there's, this, there's this drawing when there's a crisis, there's this drawing that people pray. On top of that, in this situation, this context, the disciples were born, even people, people play on their ignorance, oh, they're fishermen, or there's this or that, and they didn't know that much. Don't play, don't hit that note too often or too hard. Because they were born into a society that was deeply religious. They were taught. They were trained. They were already men who had an inclination toward this thing. That's, that was the structure of their whole society. Their clothes, men's clothes, had little prayer tassels on them to remind them to constantly pray. So this is an important point, and I don't want to hurry through it. These men, this man, again, we don't know which disciple it was, but this this disciple had already within him eternity in his heart and that proclivity to prayer, that inclination toward prayer that every human being is naturally born with. And on top of it, he had a society that taught him the nature of prayer, the importance of prayer, pushing him toward prayer. And this is the point that I want to make. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for him. His sense of poverty of spirit is what made him rich and what makes us rich. Poverty of spirit is a recognition that I need God. If you go between the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, there's different versions. You read the Beatitudes. One says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The other just says, blessed are the poor. What gives? What's what's the tension there? Well, I want to tell you, as as having served as a missionary and at times among people with crushing poverty, I'm talking about people who come to church barefoot because they don't have any shoes. Crushing poverty. Do people who are economically poor have an edge with the Lord that people who are economically wealthy don't have? In and of itself, no. No, God's no respecter of persons. So somebody who comes to him in the name of Jesus, doesn't matter if they're a multimillionaire or doesn't matter if they're homeless, they come in the name of Jesus, the same blood bought them both and they're on equal footing. Is everybody following me? All right, but here's the difference. Very often the difference. The poor man, the economically poor man, has a sense of brokenness and need. And that sense of brokenness and need and vulnerability wakes him up to a need that is a whole lot deeper than an empty wallet. It wakes him up. It makes him conscious. And he's hungry. He has a hungry soul. And that leads him to the pursuit of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how much you make where you are, I'm telling you, spiritual hunger and the, 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 the sense of need that one should have toward God is a gift from God. That's the grace of God. But you can stir it up. The Word of God can wake it up. This man, by the standards of the secular world that we live in today, already knew how to pray, let me assure you. By today's standards, this was a devout man. But he came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach us how to pray. I'm hungry for prayer. I want to know. This is something I want to tell you. Even before this message came to me, this past week I was praying all over again, like I was a, like I was a baby Christian that had come, just come to Jesus. I found myself praying, Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to do this. Teach me how to draw close to you. I'm hungry for you. Wake the hunger up inside of me. And Jesus answered, and he said these words. Now, as much as any given person has this desire toward prayer, has this hunger toward prayer, even a more pointed, intentional one, prayer must be taught. We must be taught how to pray. 
how many know you've got a natural desire to live? Right? Everybody's got a natural desire to live. It's a physical desire, right? Um, you take somebody who's, who's, uh, who's even wrestling, even dealing with depression or, or, or struggling, there's a natural desire. You see people who, who, who are sick, who, whose bodies are broken, and they're going to fight down to the last breath. It's a natural thing to desire to live. And it's a natural desire, not just the biological aspect of living, but it's a natural desire that we live, that our lives work. Amen? But how many know we've got to be taught how to live? How many knows that your life didn't come with a, with a manual? Like, man, this thing isn't working. I just need to open the glove box here and pull that puppy out and just start reading it. It does, does we don't come with a, with, a, with an operation manual. So in the same way that we have a desire to live, but have to be taught how to live, we may have a desire to pray, but we've got to be taught how to pray. Jesus didn't answer the guy and go, what are you talking about? You, you already know how to pray. Everybody knows how to pray. You just, 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 just do it. He answered specifically, indicating that it was a legitimate request. Now, I want us to turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 6, and I want to start reading in verse 7. This is a, a fuller, I would say this is Jesus developing this disciple's prayer for the masses. This is the context in Matthew chapter 6. Now he's teaching hundreds of people. He's sit, seated on the mountain there in Galilee. They know the area uh, that likely he taught from. It, it's, it's, it's up on a mount, and it kind of is kind of a bowl. It's kind of like a natural amphitheater, and then you look out over the Sea of Galilee. And he, he probably sat at the top of that so his voice could carry, so many, many people could hear him. And in the midst of this teaching, I want to start in verse 7. It says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. There's a purpose I'm bringing this up. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you need, knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then some manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to talk about the specifics of this prayer in the weeks to come. And I'm going to unpack it. But I want to, I want to look at some, some general truths here. The first truth I want to bring out is that almost certainly Jesus taught this prayer as a pattern of prayer. As a pattern of prayer. And I say as a pattern of prayer over against the idea of a prayer that we recite. Just something that we pray. Now, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I'm not knocking Roman Catholicism. I've got uh, family members who are Catholic still. But in the Catholic realm, this was known. I grew up, I went to catechism, and I grew up, and the people had the rosary, and there's different beads on the rosary that indicate different prayers. And obviously, one of the most prominent prayers on there is the Our Father, right? And so you pray this prayer, and the indication on the rosary is you pray the prayer over and over again. Likely the, the, likely the origin of that was the idea that you're pre somebody was pressing in. Somebody had this idea early on that this is a way to commit this prayer to memory and to get it kind of in your spirit, right? But the irony of that for most people, and I can say certainly from my experience, was it accomplished precisely what Jesus introduced this prayer to say you shouldn't do, right? And that is just heap up phrases. Just say it over and over again, right? Just to say something repetitively. This is one of the errors that people fall into through prayer. There are certain forms of Tibetan, uh, Tibetan Buddhism that high in the Himalayas, they have these things called prayer wheels. Has anybody ever heard of the prayer wheels? They have these prayer wheels and they spin and there's these little flags flying. And they literally, they literally believe that every time that little, uh, it's like a little windmill makes a rotation, except it's, it's, it, it points up, not sideways. Uh, every time it spins once, it shoots a prayer to heaven. So there are people that make, uh, they, they make uh, uh, pilgrimages up there, and they just stand all day, and they just spin those wheels. They take their hands, and they just spin those wheels as many times. So there's all these little wheels spinning, and they're just like little 
in their minds, little prayer machine guns, right? They're just, they're just shooting all these prayers up to heaven, right? And as many prayers as they can get to heaven, if they can heap up all these prayers, then they're going to get the attention of the gods, and they're, and, and they're going to they're gonna be redeemed. And, and Paul says, or excuse me, Jesus says, this is, this is the way the Gentiles think. In other words, this is how ignorant pagans think. They don't understand how it works. I want you to enter into a relationship, a sincere living relationship with the Father. And that's why I'm convinced that he's laying out this prayer as a pattern. Now, when we pray this prayer... The Lord's Prayer, or what I called as a young Catholic kid, the Our Father. When we pray this prayer as a pattern of prayer, rather than just praying through it, right? I mean, how many, how, if you just say, just say the prayer, well, your prayer time is probably going to be somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute if you pray it really slow. And clearly, the image of the, this disciple waiting for Jesus to finish praying wasn't that. He had to wait. Jesus was spending time. So we lay this out as a pattern and it touches on every aspect of life when it's prayed as Jesus intended. And, and we can get a hint of what he's driving at when you read sort of before and after the prayer in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. So let's look at it as kind of a pattern of prayer. As rather rather than something that we just recite just by memory, right? I mean, I could pray. We're not Catholic, but I could pray. I could start praying this prayer, and everybody would fall in right behind me because it's one of the basic things that we memorize. Amen. I could just start praying it, and everybody would just kind of pray along. But I want us to I want us to move away from that and think in terms of more of an outline, like we've got laid out on this little prayer card that I've, I'm, we're providing as kind of an aid to you. When you say, "Our Father in heaven." This is a very powerful thing because Jesus is speaking to something that was really almost unthinkable for the people at that time. That he's saying two things about God simultaneously. He's acknowledging that he's in heaven, that he's sovereign, that he's transcendent, that he's other, that he's way, way up there. And at the same time, he's calling him Abba. He's, he's, he's saying, my father. My personal father. This is, this is a, a closeness. This is an intimacy that he's pointing to. So when you acknowledge God as father, God, listen, who's, whose idea was the prayer? It was Jesus' idea. And Jesus commands us to call God Almighty who created the stars with his breath, who, who measures the universe with his hand span. God tell, uh, Jesus tells us to call that God our father. To open the word with Father means one very important thing. Access. You have access. You have aperture. You have an opening into the most holy place. You have adoption. You are accepted. The Apostle Paul says, the spirit of fear is broken. The spirit of adoption has descended upon you. So you've got openness. That's what's important about opening by saying, Father in heaven. And then he follows, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word that we're kind of like, I mean, it's just not a word that I use every day unless I'm talking about the Lord's Prayer. Right? It's, it's kind of a high thing. But I, I tell you what, what it means. It means, may your name be honored as holy. That's what it means. May your name be consecrated. God, we sanctify your name. That is, we, we exalt your name. It's worship. So after you recognize God as Father and that you have entrance into his presence, you enter his courts with thanksgiving, his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Right? You, end, you begin by worshiping God. That's how you begin a time of prayer. That sort of plows the ground. Your kingdom come. You recognize he's the king. You, you pray prayer of submission, of yieldedness to him. There's no way that you're going to get what you need to get unless you're in a position of submission. Your will be done. You declare God's will to be done in your life, 
in the life of your immediate family, in the life of the church, in the life of the city, the state, the country, the world. You declare the will of God. And I'm going to talk more about how these things are linked and how they relate to each other and and in and, and, and more detail. This week, Eric was at my house. He was helping me paint, and I was sitting down, and we're going through this in the Greek. It's, it's a whole lot of fun in, in the original language because you can see how these things are linked together. But these things we desire, that God's name be sanctified as holy, worship, that his kingdom would come, that there would be submission to his sovereignty, and that his will would be done. Just as these things are in heaven, we want them done on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. That's, the, that's your place to pray for your needs to be met. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors, right? This is where we repent. This is where we draw close and we acknowledge, God, we've sinned against you. We ask you to forgive us. And this is the place where you really work out that God uh, wants you to forgive others. Amen? And this is where, this is where we, as we go on, we get sweeter. You know what? How many have been around somebody, they're, they're in their last chapter of their life, right? They're aged, they've got a full lifetime behind them, and they are just sweet, 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 sweet. You just get around them and you just want to be around them because they just, every, just they're, how many have been around somebody like that? They're just sweet as they can possibly be. And you're like, you walk away, you go, that's the sweetest person I've ever been around in my whole life. I can't believe how sweet they are. How many have been around a person who's in the last chapter of their life? This is it. They've lived their whole life. They're bitter. They're angry. And they're mean as Ebenezer Scrooge. How many have been around somebody like that? Now, what's the difference? doesn't have to do with their age. And you talk to the sweet person, guess what? They've walked as hard a road as the other person. What's the difference? I want to be one of the sweet people. I want to get to the end of my life and be sweet, 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 sweet. My marbles might be rolling around in my head a little bit, but I'm going to be sweet. Bless God. By God's grace, I want to be sweet. What's the difference? I'll tell you a big one, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Right, so we pray that through. That's not just something you pray. You know, Jesus said, how many, his disciples said, how many, do I forgive them seven times? Jesus said 70 times seven. How many have noticed you got to forgive 70 times seven for the same sin? Right, somebody hurt you, and you got to forgive them, and the next day you got to forgive them again, and the thing's popping up like a dandelion. You're like, what in the world? How many times? You, that's why you got to pray that through. That's, that's why recitation of a memorized prayer isn't enough. You gotta work that baby. You gotta pray it through. Then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is where we pray God's protection on our life, God's guidance on our life, God's working in our life. And then you close with more worship. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It's a pattern. How you work that out is gonna be particular to you. I want us to pray in a little bit, but I wanna. I want to tell you what I believe one of the primary purposes of prayer is and the dynamic of prayer in a praying Christian. We have a society. We live in a world that is almost entirely pretense. There's pretense of control and composure. We, in this country, have the highest standard of living comprehensively in the history of the world. Now, people can say, well, you know, I read an account somewhere that, you know, Norway is that. Stop. We have clean water. We have indoor plumbing. I'm talking about stuff you don't even think about anymore. We have access to health care, antibiotics. We have 
food supply. Very few people, Joseph, we were having dinner last night, and Joseph brought this up. When's the last time anybody worried that they wouldn't have food? Right? I mean, we have a standard of living that previous generations, even, even living memory, didn't know anything about. We can be anywhere, if we need to be someplace, we can be anywhere on the planet within 24 hours. We have a, a level of technology and, and freedom and quality of life at the physical level like no other. And we're coming apart at the seams. There is more depression. There is more use of we we there is more use of antidepressants in this country than has ever been. There's a book written on it, Prozac Nation. There's more people going to counselors. Look, coming from a university setting, I'm gonna tell you the truth. There are counselors that have counselors. There are counselors that are going to counselors. I had students that were becoming psychology majors because of their problems. We've got, we've got all this stuff. You go on social media. It's one of the reasons I wrestle with social media because people paint a picture on their Facebook page that everything's wonderful. And you go and you look at everybody else. And there's people. Did you know people who are consistently on Facebook are more depressed than people who aren't? Why? Because they know their life and they're looking at everybody else's pictures and vacations in Hawaii and their kids' events and everything else, and it's an edited life. It's a lie. And everybody's painting a picture of composure, and behind the scenes, they're falling apart. This, this just happened to a friend of Joseph, a friend of his from high school. I hadn't seen him for years. Had it on Facebook, everything is wonderful, and Joseph heard through the grapevine, the guy just shot his girlfriend and killed himself. High school friend of his. I wish that we could say this was rare. Did anybody follow what happened in Georgia just within the past couple of days? Anymore, it's not even, yeah, anymore, it's not even news. A guy walks in, 29 years old, takes a gun, and starts shooting random people. There was no motive. He had never worked there. Anymore, that doesn't even ruffle our feathers. If I would have said this 20 years ago, this church would be in absolute shock. But we're not even shocked anymore. We got a society at the highest level, economically, medically, in terms of food supply, in terms of comfort, luxury, transportation. We're at the top of the heap of history, and we're coming apart absolutely at the seams. What's going on with it? I want to tell you, the world is playing a game. It's apostasy. People are getting away from God. They're turning their backs on God. And they're falling apart. I want to tell you what daily prayer is. This is there's, there's, there's reasons, there's clues in the midst of Jesus talking about what prayer is. He says, get alone. Get alone. Why do you have to get alone? Why is solitude part of it? Solitude is part of it because I'm going to tell you what prayer is. Prayer in the presence of God is a God-controlled coming unglued. That's what it is. People of the world who have no face, no faith, are trying to put on a face. That's why I was confused. They're trying to put on a face. How many know what I'm talking about? They're putting up a front. It's a facade. It's this, they've got to look like they're in control. They've got to look like they're the wealthiest. They've got to look like they got the best house. They've got to drive the best car. They've got to get everything. To, and it, behind closed doors, it's a disaster. But I want to tell you, what it is being a Christian. Difference between somebody in the world and a Christian, what's the difference? We know we're a disaster. We know we are. I'm a mess, you're a mess, let's just admit it. Left to ourselves, it's nothing but chaos. We can't hold it together. We can't. We don't have the power to save ourselves. We need a savior. And we don't need a Savior 50 years ago in the altar where we prayed our sinner's prayer. I need the cross as bad as I did when I was a 16-year-old sinner kid. 
I need that. I need Jesus. I'm the preacher. This is the paradox of the gospel. The paradox of the gospel, and this is not just me preaching to you. This is you going to your neighbors. The paradox of the gospel is that people who need the cross preach the cross. We need Jesus every minute of every single day. And how do we express that? We express it in prayer. You saying, I say this in love, saints, but you saying you need Jesus and that you know you need Jesus, but you don't cultivate a life of prayer, you're screaming loud and clear you do not need him. You're screaming that you can make it on your own, that you can hold it together on your own, that you, you, you got it glued together, you're holding the thing together with post-its and band-aids and thumbtacks, and you're trembling inside because you're afraid that the whole thing is going to come crashing down. Let me set you at ease. It will. The only chance that we have is to seek the face of God every single day. We have got to be hungry for Jesus. If there's a part of you that isn't hungry for Jesus, that's complacent, that wants to stand on its own, that lies, it's whispering lies to you, you're going to be able to stand on its own. Tell it to shut up and get out. Because that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That is not the voice of conviction. God's holy sweet conviction comes and tells you it's okay to be weak. It's okay to admit that you don't have. This is why we come and we get in God's presence and we allow ourselves to come unglued. I'm not talking about fanaticism. I'm not talking about craziness. I'm talking about how to preserve your sanity. You get into God's presence every day and you allow your, you let your hair down. And you allow God to touch you and penetrate you. And deal with your hurts. Deal with your insecurities. Deal with your wounds. Deal with what's wrong with your family. Is anybody here not from a dysfunctional family? I mean, good. All right. Well, there's unanimity. We're all, we're all, we're all bust. We're all broken. Right? We're all broken, and we need Jesus. It's that hunger for Jesus. Let's just admit it. This is one of those churches that only sinners are allowed, right? Only broken people who can't hold it together by themselves. We come, and we pour our hearts out before the Lord, and we come unglued. People, people, and this is, this saddens me in the church, because people come into the church, and there's this, you know, one of my professors one time said, I don't know what it is. It's church air. People are, you know, you know, get ready in the morning. Who, who got my pants? Where are they? How's the baby get down? I spilled the coffee, you know, and my tie is this. And, you know, and you, it's, it's like one of those little cartoon clouds with the arms and the feet sticking out. And, you know, like the Tasmanian devil, right? You know, and you know, they make their way to the car, you know, and they're fussing on the way. And, can you believe? and they come to church. And the second they hit the parking lot, the doors open. They're, oh. Glory to God. Amen. How are you doing today, brother? Amen. I'm doing great. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, until after church and the whole thing. Lord, again, I'm not talking about fanaticism. But I am talking about, look, in the presence of God, seek God. Let's not be the frozen chosen. Let's, let's, let's lay a hold of God. Let's lay a hold of God. You know, I mean, look at, pe people say, well, every, you know, we're, mm, we're in church. So, hallelujah. When we were moving down here, when we're moving down here, the process of moving down here, a little bit north of here on I-5, there's a, there's a billboard for a casino. And the slogan is, put on your game face. And there's this dippy-looking woman <laughs> having a fit. Having a fit because she just got a jackpot, which is only going to make her more addicted to gambling. And she's excited. But we can't get excited about Jesus. We can't let ourselves go. We can't yield in the presence of God, call out to God. This whole thing, this whole thing of being... Oh, absolutely, unbroken, composed. I mean, we can't, this is, 
There is no basis for that in Scripture. Read the Psalms. If, if David is rejoicing, what's he doing? Can anybody quote some of the Psalms to me? What's he doing if he's rejoicing, if he's glad in the Lord? He's dancing his pants off. In the spirit, amen. <laughs> he's shouting. He's a shout to the Lord. He's dancing. He's da and you know what? There's always somebody. Here's Mikal. That was his first wife. You know, how king of Israel has di distinguished himself today? She acted like she was together and like he was coming apart. What happened? She's the one who came apart. And his son is reigning on the throne forever. David was absolutely together. Right? Because he was, he knew. Read the Psalms. If he's depressed, he's calling on God, he's weeping. If he's rejoicing, he's calling on God rejoicing. But th this whole idea of sort of stiff composure doesn't have a reference within Scripture. Now what happens, what happens when we pray day after day in God's presence? We pray day after day. We get into this place where, where we, allow, we let our hair down in the presence of God and we allow ourselves to become kind of not so composed in God's presence every single day. And we do it day after day after day. What's that called? I'll tell you what it's called. Jesus calls it abiding in the vine. Abiding in the vine. We abide in the Lord. When we get an unbroken prayer and we abide day after day, that's where the power comes. That's where God does this work that's like a dredging machine that comes along and gets out the deep muck that's in the channel of our spirit. And that's where the spirit of God begins to flow. I'm not just talking for a week. I'm talking about week after week, month after month, even year after year. And that's where God begins to do a work. I want to tell you, I want to tell you my vision for this church. An army of people who pray. An army of people who pray. And as we pray, we got all eyes on Jesus. All the things of this world, as we sang earlier, will grow strangely dim. And he will come more sharply into focus. And God will be able to use us as an instrument to reach those who otherwise could not possibly be reached. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a desire. I want to tell you a little story. In 1904, there was a young man named uh, Evan Roberts. And Ever, Evan Roberts was a man in his 20s. He felt a call to ministry, but he was only partially trained. And he wanted to speak in his church, and his pastor, he begged his pastor, and his pastor said, look, I'm not going to give you any time, really. But if there's any youth that want to stay after the service, you can talk to them. That's not, how many youth want to stay after? Right. So, so he managed to get a handful of youth to stay after the service. He lived in Wales, right, the western part of England. And he began to speak. This is a working class area, a lot of coal mines, a lot of day workers. And he began to speak to them. And out of his words, revival broke out. It became known as the Great Welsh Revival. A lot of people haven't heard of it, but it, how many have heard of Azusa Street, Azusa Street Revival? Most people consider that the Great Welsh Revival is the precursor to Azusa Street. And the Great Welsh Revival, God would, would show Evan Roberts in dreams and visions, and a number came to him, a number came to him in his mind, 100,000, 100,000. And he began to pray, 
revival broke out. And it was a revival not driven by preachers like Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield in the First Great Awakening before the Revolutionary War in America. This was something that was driven by two things. It was driven by worship and song, and it was driven by prayer. It, it was something, it was a revival that happened in the pews. And people began to pray. It spread like wildfire from church to church. People got saved by the thousands. Wales isn't a very big country. But it got, people got saved by the thousands. And then by the tens of thousands, people got saved. It became, it, it made the newspapers. It changed the whole society. And it had two marks on the society. One, it broke addiction. Drunkenness was very, very common. And people were, were drunkenness just broke right off of them. Chemical addiction, it's, you can call it any way you want, but it's chemical addiction to be addicted to alcohol. Saloons had to shut down. All these bars, all these pubs had to shut down. The other thing that happened was it affected how people spoke. People treated criticism of the people of God, gossip, slander, they treated it as if it were blasphemy. They would not tolerate it. And then their speech cleaned up. All cursing stopped. All gossip stopped. All backbiting stopped. It was crazy what happened. Now, that's a coal mining area. Let me tell you the impact it had. That was a coal mining area. And all these coal miners got saved. They all got saved. And you know what they had to do? They had to shut down the coal mine. Why do they have to shut down the coal mines? Well, because the mules had been conditioned to respond to the coal miners' profanity. So they would curse at the mules to get them to haul the coal. Well, now all these tough coal miners all got saved and they'd stop cursing. And the mules didn't know what to do. So they had to retrain the mules. How many believe God the God of heaven can still do miracles. Not just this person healed or that person gets a raise or whatever, but God can do a miracle at the level of a whole church. How many believe he can do that? I believe he can. I want, you, I want to invite the musicians to come, but I want us to bow our heads in prayer. I want us to pray. 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 Enter into a time of prayer. Posture yourself for prayer right now. Hallelujah. And I want you to call on God right now. I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. We're not going to do it long, but we're going to pray. Hallelujah. 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 Let's pray the whole prayer right now. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you've made us your Father. Call on God as Father. Call on Him right now as Father. Call Him Father. Hallelujah. Father, we call on you. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us your children. You've adopted us as sons, Lord God. You've given us access into the most holy place. Father, we praise you and we thank you, Lord. And we hallow your name right now. We sanctify your name as holy. We worship you as holy today, Father. God, we praise you and we thank you, God, with the high praises. Lord, not polite, low praises. Not faint praise, but loud praise. Glorifying your name and worshiping you, God. We enter into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. We enter into your presence thanking you, O oh God. Praise you, Lord God, for who you are. Praise you for what you've done, God, that you saved us. Hallelujah. Pray, saints. Pray with all your heart. Hallelujah. 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 God, we turn to you and we say, God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come, O oh God. Let your kingdom come in my life, oh God. Let your kingdom come, God, in the will, in the life of my family. Let your kingdom come, oh God. We submit to you. We yield.
yield ourselves to you, God. We ask in Jesus' name that everything that would resist your kingship in our life, that would resist your lordship and your reign over us, God, where we have set ourselves up on a throne that is reserved for you alone, Heavenly Father, God, we repent of all rebellion. And we ask, God, that you work your kingship in our lives. Now, God, we ask that your will be done. God, let your will be done in my life. Imagine your life as a circle, and you want to be in the middle of the circle of God's perfect will. God, we don't want to be toward the edge. We, want to, we don't want to see how much we can get away with and still be called a Christian. God, in Jesus' name, put us in the center of your perfect will. Oh, God, we want your will. Let your will be done in my life, God. Let your, let your will be done in the life of my spouse. Call down. If you're married, call down God's will to be done in the life of your spouse. Right now, God, let your will be done. Guide them. Direct them. Pour out your Holy Spirit on them. In Jesus' name, God, let your will be done in the life of our children. God, whatever children, whatever people that we call children, whether they're grandchildren, whether they're adopted, God, whether they're our blood kin, Father, in Jesus' name, let your will be done in our children, God. Let none of them be lost. Let none of them stray. May they all be in the center of your perfect will, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we call down your perfect will in North Lake Church. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you come in here like a tempest. We ask that you come in here like a flowing river. God, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit, tongues as a fire, O oh God. We ask in Jesus' name that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done in North Lake Church, Father. In every aspect, large and small, God, we ask for your will to be done. Bless the people who call this place home. And Father, use each and every one to reach more and more people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we bless Camas, Washington. We bless this whole area, God. We ask in Jesus' name that you guide the city government. God, we ask, God, that decisions will be made. Even if people don't know you, God, make they make decisions conform to your will. Bless Washougal, God. Bless Vancouver. Bless Portland, God. We ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on this entire area, this whole metro area. God, let your will be done. Turn back a spirit of chaos, a spirit of anarchy, a spirit of violence and murder and drug abuse. In Jesus' name, God, let your will be done. May we be salt and light, O oh God. Now, Father, bless Washington State. Bless Washington State, a state divided. God, so many, so many God-fearing people, and some people, many, many people, secular and have no knowledge of God, and they're making laws. God, we ask in Jesus' name, let your perfect will be done in this state, God. You can do it. You work things out. Oh, God, let your will be done in the country. God, we're entering a valley of decision. God, where elections are coming up, we ask that your will would be done. We might not always understand, but we ask that your plan be accomplished, God, in our country. Father, guide. God, this has nothing to do with what we agree with. We ask that you guide all government leaders, Lord God, that you guide them. God, bring about your perfect will, your plan. Now, Father, we ask that you touch this world, this lost, dying world. We ask, God, that you raise up soldiers to go into the harvest field. We ask, God, that you would organize, that you would strategize, that you would move, God, that your people would rise up like a mighty force. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, give us this day our daily bread. Begin to call on God for your needs to be met. Begin to call on God for your needs to be met. God, we recognize you're our source. We call on you right now. In Jesus' name. Father, have your way. God, do your will. In Jesus' name. Have your way. God, move by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we ask that you would break the power of debt. We ask, Father God, that those tough things, those things that are resisting us, Father, breakthroughs, God, it could be at work. It could be uh, with some particular financial situation or a debt. God, or a burden. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you give us the breakthrough. God, thank you, Lord, for wisdom. Thank you for guidance. Thank you for directing us in the way we should go, but provide for your people. And provide for this church, Father, in Jesus' name. We ask that you provide, God, all the finances we need to do what we need to do in Jesus to reach this generation. Father, in Jesus' name, let your will be done. Now, God, we ask you to forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sinned against us. God, we repent. We recognize that we're sinners. Father, we ask that you shine the light of your Holy Spirit on those areas of our life 
that are resistant to you. Some of them we recognize with shame and others we're not even aware of. But God, we ask God that you'd move. Forgive us, God. We repent right now of all sin, of all known sin, and search us out. And God, we forgive those who hurt us. Everybody in this room has got somebody or somebodies who hurt them. Bless them in the name of the Lord right now. Bless them. Bless them in Jesus' name. God, we bless those who've hurt us, who've despitefully used us. God, we pray for them. We pray a blessing upon their life in Jesus' name that our spirit would be clear. God, lead us not into temptation. Lord, guide us. Guide us away from excessive traps and temptation. Lord, deliver us from evil. Father, we call down the protection of God on our coming and going. God, when we're in our house, when we're in our place of employment and work, God, we call down your protection upon our children when they go to their schools, Father. Protect them from harmful relationships. Guide them into relationships that are going to edify and bless them. Show them the way. Oh, God, we ask for divine guidance. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Hallelujah, Father, we praise you. Hallelujah, we glorify you. Let's all stand as we sing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.